0: Thank you for tuning in to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you have never been to a church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church you connect with, you belong here. Right now, Collective is fully online, so if you like the podcast, make sure to check us out on Facebook at My Collective Church on Sunday mornings at 9.25 a.m. We would love for you to join us. Stay tuned this summer as we have some big announcements coming up about the future of Collective. Now, Let's get into today's message. Yo, Collective, good morning. My name is CT and I'm one of our leaders here. I get to preach a few times a year and I always look forward to it. And today is no different. So let's boogie and let's get after it. As you know, we are in a series right now called Summer Mixtape. And last week, Michael shared some of his favorite songs that he grew up with. And I, I always think, when I think about best music, I think about the times I lived in Florida. I would hand crank the windows on my little Hyundai accent and I would put those down, turn on Blink-182, self-titled album, and between the music and the sun and the surf, I just felt alive. And those are some of my best musical memories. But as far as our sermon goes, our summer sermon mixtape today is going to start with this verse. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And if you grew up in church, you probably have heard of that verse. And if you didn't grow up in church, that's completely okay. We're going to mull it over together today. It's one of the most famous verses in the Bible and it comes from John 3.16. Yup, that John 3.16 that you see at virtually every football game everywhere, that John 3.16. The same John 3.16 that Tim Tebow wore on his eye black during his games. Go Gators, by the way. This is one of the first verses that I learned as a kid. I went to church camp every summer. Yes, it's a real thing, it's camp and you do churchy things. You can judge me all you want to, I looked forward to it. Even when I was 17 or 18 years old, I loved church camp. You play crazy games, you work on your one-liners to try to pick up all these girls that you say you're gonna get their address and write snail mail to, like back when mixtapes were cool. You know you're not gonna write them mail, but you still try. And yes, we spent a little bit of time learning the Bible too. And it was there for the first time that I learned this verse. And as does happen sometimes with famous Bible verses, we kind of forget the context that surrounds that verse, what comes before and what comes after. And so that's what we want to dig into today is the full story surrounding this verse, John three sixteen. And before we dig into that verse, though, I want to tell you, first of all, that is how much God loves you. God loves you so much that he sent his son to freely die so that we can have a relationship with him. And whether you've known that for decades, whether you're running from that today, or you've never heard that before, that is how much God loves you. But let's jump into some of the background details of our story today between Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. Now, first of all, Nicodemus is a Greek name, and that may not mean much to us, It's all Greek to me, (laughs) cheesy dad jokes, but it's important. It means he has power and he has prestige. This is generally known about this man, Nicodemus. In fact, his name literally means victor over the people. And as we're about ready to see in virtually every earthly way possible, he was victorious over common people like you and I. John 3, 1 tells us some important details about Nicodemus. They tell us that he is a Pharisee and he is a part of the Jewish ruling council. Now, Pharisees were a religious group at that time. And yes, Jesus and the Pharisees did battle throughout Jesus's life. But in that culture, if you wanted to look to an occupation that said you've arrived and you've made it, that was a Pharisee. Also, the Jewish ruling council was called the Sanhedrin. Don't worry, I'm not going to go full nerd on you, but just the tip of the sword about the Sanhedrin, they were the ancient Jewish court system. Think US Supreme Court justices, but like everybody actually knows who they are and they think they're really cool. That is who Nicodemus was. He was a member of the right club. So best job available, check. Supreme political power through the Sanhedrin, check. All that's left is fat stacks of cash and he's got it made, but wait, he's got that too. This same Nicodemus appears later in the book of John chapter 19 and he buys somewhere between 75 to 100 pounds of myrrh and aloe to embalm Jesus's body after Jesus died. We don't have time to get into the significance of what that means, but one scholar said this purchase was extremely expensive. Another scholar actually put it into today's money, and it was somewhere between $150,000 and $200,000 that he spent on a burial process. So yeah, he's got money. He has it all. The right job belonged to the right clubs. This is who Nicodemus was. He's the equivalent of a wealthy businessman, a modern politician, and a celebrity preacher all rolled into one guy. And I think it's also really important to know Nicodemus had no major vices that we know about. His normal everyday life was normal. No record of abuse, no sex scandals, no political corruption. And maybe you can start to identify with that. Maybe you're living your life right now and really things are going pretty well. I mean, take away all the money and the political power, and you can start to identify with this guy, Nicodemus. It may definitely not be all of us who are listening today, but at least that's a portion of us listening. And despite everything he has, he still feels stuck. Something is missing And he's not just some dude on a page in the Bible that I have nothing in common with. When I learn this about him, all of a sudden, Nicodemus becomes real because he's staring at me every day in the mirror because you know what it's like to be stuck. And so do I. Think about the student or the teacher professor who is thinking about education right now. Do I have to go? Is it safe? Am I going to have a job? Like, is this always the way it's going to be? I just don't like online learning. God, I'm a student or a teacher and I'm stuck. If you're a parent right now, if you're anything like me, you definitely feel stuck. We are dumbfounded about what to do with our kids. Like we have to work. The problem, the dilemma of how do I be fully present at work while I also have kids at home is very real. And I know that there are families at Collective who are struggling with this right now. And it's not just that. It's not just a school issue. We have two young girls at home. They are three and they are one. And we have watched over the last four months that they have regressed socially Butterflies who love talking to people and engaging with anybody are now all of a sudden forgetting how to interact and talk to people. Watching your kids regress because they have little social, emotional, or educational interaction with their peers as a parent is very, very hard. And I know for me, I struggle with it because there's nothing I can do to fix the problem. So, God, I'm a parent and I'm stuck. Maybe you're single and now your job is taking you home. That same home that's a small, quiet apartment. And you just want some real interaction with real people. God, I'm lonely and I'm stuck. Maybe you're even feeling stuck a little bit in this whole entire church thing. Like at first, yeah, boy, this is awesome. I could show up and I could watch online and nobody knows I'm in my PJs. This is legit. But now the novelty's gone and it's routine. And you're like, hey God, I'm trying to be like you and I'm trying to do this church thing, but I'm stuck. How do you feel stuck this morning? Our small group collective that we belong to just did a series last month about this idea of feeling stuck. And thanks to our leader, Jerrica Washington, we had one of the best discussions we have had in years. And my wife and I took that conversation home and we talked about how do we feel stuck right now in life? And it came back to something that I've mentioned before, our house search. We have a rock star agent. He works very hard. He looks for us. We look. We've put in a couple bids. We've been outbid and we haven't had a house yet. And it's discouraging, but it's discouraging because the house search is tied to a much larger dream. We both want to adopt It has been a passion that we have had since we were dating. Before we were even engaged, we talked about how cool it would be to one day adopt a child and bring that child into our family. We know the timetable is one to two years. We know it's a mountain of paperwork. We know it's incredibly expensive, and we don't know how we're going to pay for it. But it's a passion that still exists, and it's something that we feel called to do. But in the apartment that we're living at right now, we fear that we will not pass the home study and not be eligible to adopt a child. God, I'm trying to find a house right now because we want to grow our family, but I'm stuck. And no matter the situation, the sentiment is the same. You want some hope, some joy, light at the end of the tunnel. You want answers to your questions. This is exactly what Nicodemus wanted as well. He had questions. He felt stuck in his religion, so he approached Jesus. And even though Pharisees were often incredibly meticulous about religion, their lives usually did not match the heart of Jesus. So Jesus enters the world and this man, Nicodemus, who's been doing religion the way he's been doing it his whole entire life, all of a sudden meets Jesus and he has to come up against this rub of, this is how I do religion, but this is the person that Jesus is and Nicodemus has questions. And so he comes to Jesus at night and we know that this story occurs during a time called Passover. We don't have time to get into the significance of what Passover was, but crowds just swelled upon that city. Think opening day at Camden Yards, or wherever your closest MLB team is to wherever you live. Think a normal opening day at Camden Yards. Orange and black is everywhere. People are pumped. They can't wait. No matter how bad the team is, it's a sellout on opening day. They're at the bars and the restaurants and just milling around because people just love that baseball is back. And people are there much more than the capacity that Camden, Camden Yards holds. It's the same type of idea right now in the city where Nicodemus is. And so people often say, oh, he must have been afraid of what the Pharisees were going to say if he was going to Jesus. We don't know if that's true. He could have just wanted a personal, real encounter with Jesus without other people around. But here they are in the dark, two men, Nicodemus and Jesus. And check this out. This is John chapter 3, verse 2. After dark one evening, he, Nicodemus, came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Nicodemus calls Jesus rabbi, which just simply means teacher. But don't lose the significance of a Pharisee calling Jesus teacher. They were in opposition to each other. So either Nicodemus is trying to butter Jesus up or as I personally feel, he was genuinely curious about who Jesus is. He also says, we, not I. More people than Nicodemus feel this way. They're curious. And one more thing, it may sound like flattery what he is saying about Jesus. We all know that God has sent you to teach us. But notice that Nicodemus stops short of saying, Jesus, I believe in you. What I think he's really getting at here is, Jesus, you're obviously a really cool dude and you can do some really great things. And we know that you are of God, but are you the one? Like, are you the one that we have been expecting? So let's pick up the story, verses three through seven. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaims Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replies, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. There's a lot going on here, and Nicodemus is a smart guy. He's well-educated, but even he misses what Jesus is saying, and his response is so literal. An old man going back into his mother's womb. Like, I want nothing to do with my mother's womb ever again. I can tell you that much right now. Hey, Mom, love you. Glad that you are tuning in this morning, but don't love you that much. Not even sorry about it. And so this is when Jesus starts to talk about a birth of water and spirit. And essentially what Jesus is saying here is that you must be born physically and spiritually. Physically born, cool, check. I can wrap my mind around that, that's easy. But what does this whole born of the spirit thing mean? Jesus is actually breaking down barriers with this statement. He's saying being born Jewish, God's people, isn't enough and this is great news for all of us at that time the popular opinion was if you were born jewish you kind of had to get out of jail free card you automatically got saved but jesus is saying you don't have to be the right person you don't have to be born to the right family or into the right tradition or the right nation it doesn't matter who you are jesus's invitation is for everyone He's also telling Nicodemus, hey, no amount of being a good person, being a Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, all of that stuff, none of that can save you. You can't do it on your own. What really matters is if you have your own personal spiritual birth as well. And that's a moment of faith where you recognize that Jesus is your leader and your savior. And here at Collective, we celebrate that through baptism." I was baptized 26 years ago after a week of, guess what? Church camp. Gave up on those one-liners with the girls and finally focused on God and he got a hold of me. And I was baptized after a week of church camp. My wife got baptized much later in life, just a few years ago, right before we moved to Frederick. And we both individually had this moment where we realized we can't and don't want to do life without Jesus as our leader. And if you turn it, tuned in just a couple of weeks ago, you saw Kayla's baptism, and that's the tangible example of what we're talking about right now. So if you're realizing or if you're questioning, is there more to life? If you want to be spiritually alive, check off the baptism box on your connection card. It's, in the, it's a link in the comments. You can find it there. Our staff would love to have a conversation with you. But this leads directly into our first application point of the day, the story of Jesus and Nicodemus. How can I apply that to my life right now? And the first point is this, Jesus is your ultimate unstuck. I know that may sound a little strange and it might not even be grammatically correct. Hey, I'm a communication guy, not an English guy. Jesus is your ultimate unstuck. Sure, you can get out of whatever is right in front of you. At some point, someday, we are going to buy a house. The coronavirus is going to be over. Hopefully, you're going to find a babysitter or a daycare provider for your kids. Maybe it's financial trouble. At some point, that's going to go away, and that's going to be gone. And if it's not one of those things. We all have something in life that makes us feel just a little bit stuck, and when that's gone, it really is legit, and it's great. We feel better. We sleep better. Life seems a little easier. But then that next thing is just going to come along, that next thing that makes us feel stuck. Life has trials, whether you're a Christian or not. Life has trials that make us feel stuck. However, there's a bigger picture. It's my sin, and it's your sin. Sin is very simply negative actions that we take that separate us from God. And as was briefly mentioned before, there's nothing that we can do on our own to get right with God. Jesus died and rose again so that we can have a relationship with God. The entire story that we're talking about today leads up to this fact. Directly after this interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus, John, our author, writes down this famous verse, John 3, 16. Check it out one more time. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. If you truly want to become unstuck, accept the free gift that Jesus offers. The second application point is getting unstuck takes time. This is not fun. You may not want to hear that, but it's definitely something that we should acknowledge. The middle of March when this pandemic started seems like a long time ago, and it probably feels like ages ago. But there's a lot of examples of people in the Bible having to wait a long time for things that they wanted. There's a guy named Moses he didn't find his calling in life until he was 80 years old. There's a good, another guy named Abraham. Abraham is considered one of the heroes of the Bible, and he didn't become a dad until he was 100 years old. Jesus himself spent 40 days and 40 nights in the desert by himself with no food and no water. And I'm sure there's possible points in time in that 40 days and nights he felt stuck as well and you may not know the biblical examples but you definitely know the examples from your own life maybe it's a sickness from a family member could be growing up and becoming a real adult and trying to figure out what in the world that looks like getting married we all have examples of waiting longer than we want to And I don't know why sometimes God waits so long to answer our prayers, or sometimes it seems like he doesn't answer them at all, but I just have to trust that God's view of perfect timing is much better than my concept of timing will ever be. And sometimes it takes time, but it's hard, but God waits for us too oftentimes longer than he wants to wait for us to realize that we need him. I mentioned it earlier, but Nicodemus is a guy who ponies up a bunch of cash to embalm Jesus's body. And you don't spend that much money on somebody unless you truly believe who they were and what they stood for. I'm sure Jesus would have loved for Nicodemus to just get it in that conversation. The light bulb goes off, his trajectory of life changes, but... It took a while. God was willing to wait for Nicodemus and he's willing to wait for you too. Our third application point this morning is own your growth while you wait. We like to say around here that you are ridiculously in control of your own decisions. And I'm just gonna to talk to the Christians for just a second, those of us who believe in Jesus. If we are waiting for God to show up in some type of specific way, if we want him to move for us, we should be leaning in more. We should be praying more. We should be reading the Bible more. As Michael talked about last week, we should be meditating more. And I'm saying this to myself right now, maybe more than anybody, because I've realized in the last few weeks, this is something that I need to take to heart. Because I'm taking this very specific ask to God and I'm wanting Him to move in a major way so that we can start this adoption process. And I'm talking to myself, but I'm talking to all of us. You are ridiculously in control of your own decisions. What are you going to do with the time while you're waiting? And how can you use this time to grow in your relationship with God and with others? Own your growth is one of our key values here at Collective. We love the phrase. We have preached on it in the past. Continue to read, to pray, to invest, to serve, and give. Simply put, continue to show God how much you care while you wait to hear from God. Four days from now, my wife Rachel and I have a two and a half hour long virtual meeting with our adoption agency. We decided to take action while we wait, and it is super exciting for us. We are officially in the adoption process, and that is awesome, but it's also pretty scary. And honestly, it raises a bunch of questions that we don't have answers to. But we decided we were tired of waiting. Honestly, we waited far too long to get started. Own your growth while you wait. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you that you are a God who understands what it's like to be stuck. We thank you that Jesus had encounters with real people just like us who were stuck because Jesus gets it. He understands our emotions knows our feelings, knows our big desires. God, I pray that we take those to you, that we're honest about the things that are weighing heavy on our hearts and our minds, that you give us patience while we wait to hear from you. And God, I pray that we do our part, that we show you how much we care while we wait for you to speak to us. Thanks for being here this morning. Thanks for this church and everything that's happening in this city. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.